0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... On this episode, it's the Dallas Pre-Race Show. We have Tony Pedregon and Kevin McKenna back to share inside stories in depth. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson! Wilkerson goes 391-2! This is one you do not want to miss a word of. Loads of inside stuff coming hot right now. Perfect reaction time! Zeros across the top of the time slip, and at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glass. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz 395 395.8, 324
1: miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths
0: of a second. Hey, everybody, Brian Loans back with another NHRA Insider podcast. This is a pre race show, so we have Kevin McKenna. And Tony Pedregon on tap here in just a few minutes to get you up to speed on not only what's happened in St. Louis, what we should be paying attention to in Dallas, and uh, we're going to go in-depth and take you into some stories that um, you may not know are even going on uh, that have been buried uh, a little bit deeper in the world of NHRA drag racing um, than the normal fan knows. Some of you may see some telltales of it. We're going to take you up to speed on all of that stuff. It is going to be a hot weekend at this Texas Fall Nationals in Dallas, the culmination of the Stampede of Speed, which will be uh, and has been ongoing, uh, making the show Tuesday of the Dallas race. It started like last Friday or even earlier than that with Funny Car Chaos. They've had the concert. They've had the Nitro Sideshow. They got a Pro Mod shootout. They got professional testing, and we pick up the mantle on Thursday with qualifying and time runs for the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series competitors. At these fall nationals, car car counts are strong, uh, over 20 top fuel dragsters. We got an abundance of funny cars, pro stock motorcycles and pro stock cars. We have a pro modified class whose championship is likely to be decided uh, really early on in the weekend as there's been some developments in pro mod in that. Ricky Smith has come off of the entry list. Uh, Do not have confirmation as to exactly why that happened. Some rumors swirled a couple of weeks ago that he may do it. And it appears that he has done that uh, by not attending this race, which is points and a half for pro mods. He has effectively opened the door for Chris Thorne to lock up the title uh, almost in qualifying. Um, he will have to stage the car in the first round, I believe, to, to fully lock it up. But that'll be... Uh, a Pro Mod Championship, the first for Chris Thorne, unless something totally, absolutely, and 100%, almost unprecedented wild happens on the last day of eliminations, Chris Thorne is looking like your lock for the FuelTech Pro Modified Series presented by D-Wagon in 2022. And that'll be a story we follow up on after these fall nationals in Dallas. But the idea that that we're coming down to these last three races, Dallas, of course, uh, Las Vegas, and Pomona, um, With two and kind of three of the pro stock, or rather of the professional titles up for grabs and up for grabs in a big way, um, is, is going to be something that Kevin, Tony, and I touch on. So when we look at this potential weekend, Uh, As far as weather goes, uh, qualifying days, Friday and Saturday, two sessions each day. The evening sessions, as they tend to be, will be where people make their hay as far as grabbing the best potential spot. The daytime sessions will be where a race day tune-up can really be put to the test. Now, Sunday, uh, at this moment in time, is looking pretty ugly as far as weather goes. There's about a half inch of rain forecasted right now. Now, that tends to change by the day, and they're forecasting thunderstorms which, as we know, thunderstorms tend to pop up here and there and don't necessarily mean a sustained weather situation, but uh, it is one that could certainly throw a monkey wrench into the works of timing for so many teams out here competing for a world championship. When we get to the conversations regarding pro-stock motorcycle, pro-stock um, car, top fuel and nitro, funny car, we'll, we'll kind of get into depth on what we believe that uh, weather effect may have on various teams and and even their strategies on how to approach the weekend. It is um, it is an amazing thing to look at where we stand at this moment with points, especially in top fuel, which is a category we'll probably spend the majority of our group discussion on. Seven cars within ninety points, and you can go to Clay Milliken's car, which you know, with a good uh, Sunday in Dallas and with some help from those above him, uh, could also add himself as kind of an eighth contender. So there is plenty of the conversation yet to have, plenty of speculation we can have on who. Um, if not, can maintain their number one spot, which Justin Ashley leads the points right now, and he's the defending champ down there in Dallas. He won last year and had his cowboy hat on, and so we'll find out if that uh, if that can happen twice in a row. If it can for Justin Ashley, it certainly does um, cement a different storyline than perhaps we have for him right now. If he can go to if he can go and and leave this race not only with the points lead but perhaps extending it, um, it changes the dynamic of of Justin as a first time potential championship winner so when we talk about the fall nationals we talk about dallas we talk about potential strategies uh the pro stock car category will be one that we're going to start watching very intently during qualifying session one with eric anders being 120 points up on the rest of the field uh it would seem that people are going to have to resort to um some very very interesting strategies to try to stop her early are we going to see people shutting cars off early? Are we Are going to see people trying to find themselves at the bottom of the ladder to get an early round matchup with Erica? I kind of hope we do, not for the selfishness of the storyline, but for the idea that somebody may be able to carve into that lead. Um, you know, you'll want to see this stuff go deep, but as Erica stands and sits right now, she could lock up the championship in Las Vegas if she continues to do what she has done over the course of what is already an eight-win season. And... Uh, it would be interesting. It's been years since we've seen somebody, you know, other than 2020, when we finished the, the season in Vegas. It's been years since we've seen anybody handed a championship trophy in Las Vegas. Uh, Steve Torrance, I believe, the last to do it on his uh, sweep of the swing year, which was absolutely unbelievable. And, of course, Steve Torrance will be a topic of our conversation here in just a couple of minutes. So rather than keep going over all this, I will tell you that our Fox uh, qualifying coverage and eliminations coverage will be on Sunday. And I will tell you that you need to check your local listings for the Sunday airtime. And the reason I'm telling you that is because baseball playoffs are going on. And the playoff game uh, carried on FS1 may determine what time our eliminations airs. If it um, if there is no Game 5 or or if, if things are settled early, uh, well, it'll move us earlier. If there is a Game 5, we'll probably be airing uh, on the East Coast uh, Sunday night. But you need to check your local listings to make sure you know when the television show is going to air. So after all that babble and blobble, uh, let's move into our to our chat here. I'm going to introduce Kevin and uh, uh, Tony Pedregon right now. I spoke to them a little earlier, recorded this, and I feel like you're really going to enjoy every second of it. It is um, it is some inside baseball in the most interesting of ways. Enjoy. they so got our two guys back who have been uh, appearing regularly on the show here, Kevin McKenna of National Drags for the senior editor and, of course, the analyst of our NHRA on Fox broadcast, Tony Pedregon. Fellas, how are you guys both doing? Good, good morning, guys. We're doing real well. It's a great week for another event. It is. And this is going to be, we're going to kind of break with a little tradition here, I guess, in the countdown in terms of what we have seen for the weather. We have had a couple of, and really three in a row, um, cool races. We've had uh, fairly cool track temperatures, Tony. We've had cloud cover. And all that seems to be going away with 90-degree days down in, down in Texas projected.
1: Well, we hear a lot of cliches in our sport, unfortunately. You're going to hear one this weekend. We're going to bring the heat Literally, it's going to be hot. It's going to be hot Friday. It's really going to be hot Saturday, and of course, that's going to affect qualifying. And that really puts a lot of focus on that Friday late uh, evening session.
0: It really does. And Kevin, when we talk about kind of the teams that are able to best adapt to this, you know, when we look back over this season, we did have a couple of hot races, but really, we majority of our season was fairly temperate this year. Uh,
2: it, it was, yeah. There, there were a few events that that you traditionally expect. To, to be really miserable that worked. Um, as far as who it affects, it's interesting, you know, you, you, look, and obviously it seems like, you know, Steve Torrance has gotten his act together lately run really well, you know, one in Brainerd one last week, St. Louis, but those were two more or less cool weather races. So it's going to be interesting to see how that team and how that tune up reacts, um, to, to, you know, to an event where the conditions are drastically different, uh, that you know you look at the, they seem to have the momentum right now but the big question is going to be can it continue
0: when we look at those four winners uh from the the st louis race which really was an exceptional race i think it was great all weekend long crowds were great uh we talked about how nice uh kind of temperate temperatures were they really did pack the place in and tony when we look at the four racers in the winner's circle are, are those going to be our four champions at the end of the year
1: I, I met mean, two of them are looking pretty good. I can, I can tell you that, um, you know, Steve, what he did was what he, exactly what he needed to do. I mean, they executed to a T and you know, it's funny, I interviewed him on, on Friday and you know, I, I asked them and I, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to find the right question to ask him something that he hasn't heard over and over and over again. But, you know, knowing the situation that they were in going into that race, um, you know i mean any sort of a win really wasn't going to put them within striking range and, and it wasn't the fact that he won but also his his the closest uh, competitors they cooperated yeah and you know they got beat early so that really changed has changed everything but you know you talk about the guys that are just kind of lingering around and you know and i i was kind of looking at you know, the champions who, who's been there. And I, I, there's really something to say about, you know, the drivers that have been in these championship hunts, you know, Steve and Brittany and Antron. I mean, they felt the pressure, they know what to do They and they can taste it, the blood in the water, all this stuff. Then you look at Justin Ashley. Now what happened to his car was, you know, was something mechanical or clutch related just too much ended in entire smoke. You know, when you talk about the temperature, I really think that it takes it takes one car out of the equation. I think it takes Brittany Force and puts her into the mix. I think without a shadow of a doubt, that car is two to maybe three hundredths quicker in the right conditions than everyone else. But when when it gets hot, I think I think that kind of levels things out. I think that's that's why it's going to be interesting because she is still one of the top three. But you know, there's seven that we're talking about.
0: Kevin, before we kind of look at Dallas, let's take one last look uh, at St. Louis from your perspective. Was there anything that, I guess, left you surprised and or um, a little bit more intrigued coming out of that race than otherwise you would have been and and really can go across any category?
2: Uh, I I won't say surprised or intrigued. Uh, I think overjoyed is the term because let's take a second and look right now today at the top fuel point points. Yeah, and see seven drivers within 88 points. And even Clay Milliken at 8, 126 back, uh, what if Clay Milliken and Doug Colette are racing the final in Dallas? And that's not a real far-fetched scenario. Uh, you could potentially have 8 uh, within 50, 60 points going into the last two events of the year. Uh, that we, we may never see that again.
0: It was uncanny how how all those pieces did kind of fall into place in St. Louis. In that you you watch these one, two, three, and four points cars and the points just kind of drop off early, and it's like when does this ever happen? And it really hasn't happened that often over the course of the season. But it all, like you said, it came into kind of perfect perfect focus um, as to just how how things can play out in this countdown and the parity in Top Fuel is is fairly ridiculous. Um, I hey looked, Brian,
1: I have a I have something, I'm sorry to interrupt before yeah, I forget. Something that really stood out to me, and and I, I would ask you this question. You had Antron on your podcast last, weekend, last week. I haven't listened to it just yet, but my observation after he smoked the tires, and it happened quick, you know, and we have to call these races, you know, we have X amount of time. I yeah. mean, for the most part, we're spitting out two or three sentences, you know, to explain to the viewer what's, what's happening and what's going on, and there was a lot that happened on the racetrack, right, between Antron and Clay, but my observation at the tail end of that with Brian Karate, was it just me or did it look like he shut that car off?
0: It, it did. It, not only did it look like it, he shut it off, uh, Antron in, in very, I'm not going to say he was being vague, but in, in a in a very gentle way intimated that that, that had happened. Um, and, and the way he told me last week in the podcast was to say that uh, Clay came over and, and one of the things we all love about this, Clay came over and kind of apologized to him. And and, and the, what Antron said to me was because Clay knew the situation I was in and knew there was nothing I could do about it. And th- <laughs> those words from Antron to me um, certainly tell the story that that you're bringing up right now. And and listen, you and I have gone back and looked at it, and we had slow mo. And and listen, you can see his you can see his finger kind of hitting the trigger button.
1: Yeah, and that's you know that's going to turn out to be a very costly mistake. And you know my only com- my only closing comment is going to be for these crew chiefs, for these tuners, and you have a handful of them that have been in the seat. You know, Mark Oswald, uh, there's there's a handful of them, David Grubnick, they can relate to drivers. They've been there, they, they've they been in those tough situations. They've been in those situations where you have to make a split-second decision. And, you know, and, and if that's in fact true, and, and only Brian can answer that question. You know, I, I don't, anything I... I observe is just conjecture but it sure looked that way to me but now you know what the driver feels like the driver is faced with these split second decisions and you know when it goes wrong it could it could it could determine the outcome of a race and it could end up real bad you know you you wonder some of the time uh, some of the crew chiefs they ask well why'd you do that I, i remember when i was driving why'd you get back on the throttle hey look we condition ourselves to do certain things as a driver and and, uh, and that's all I wanted to point out if that's in fact what happened this sport and, and the drivers aren't aren't the only ones that are subjected to these these tough decisions and if that's what happened then he saw clay's car smoke the tires and wanted to do a good thing but you know it, it definitely happened he pulled the trigger a little too early and that's uh, that's going to be a shame because that took them from being one in the points to what I think fourth and it really changed the dynamic of this points the top field points race.
0: Yeah, it really did. And uh, there's no telling how far they could have carried, uh, you know, kind of carried themselves over the course of that day had um, had they completed that run even as ugly as it was if they had just completed it ahead of uh, ahead of Millikan. Um so let's let's kind of transition our look here and, and move on to what's coming up this weekend: the Texas Fall Nationals, the culmination of the Stampede of Speed, which as we uh, make this show has been going on for days on end. They start with the Funny Car Chaos, they have the concert, they have the Nitro Sideshow, they got professional testing on Wednesday, and then we start qualifying Sportsman cars on Thursday. Um, you know, let's talk with Pro Stock Motorcycle here, and we'll start with you, Kevin. In that, you know, we mentioned this idea of of you know seven cars or whatever in top fuel within eighty points. And I look at the pro stock motorcycle standings and I see, you know, a couple of riders that are pretty close. But for whatever reason, I look at those pro stock motorcycle standings and the 80 points in top fuel seems surmountable, like in the second round of the next race. The 20 point lead in pro stock motorcycle seems like a almost a bridge too far to cross for a lot of these riders.
2: Yeah, you, you just don't see someone with Matt Smith's experience coughing up a, a lead, uh, with three races to go really any size lead, although, uh, you know, 21 points, a rider with Joey Gladstone's talent and with the bike he has, uh, it's doable. But I think you, you look at the people that are fourth and fifth, you know, Eddie Craywick, Steve Johnson, a hundred points back. That's probably a bit too much to ask for. So really, I, I think you could, uh, you know, we caught a lot of grief for, from Ron Caps for, for calling funny car, a two or a three horse race, uh, I, I think it's safe to say in Pro Stock Motorcycle it is at this point we're down to two and uh uh you know, I advantage Smith, I would think.
0: I would think so too, and, and Tony you often talked about this, but at at this point it almost seems like Joey needs not only other competitors' help in stopping Matt, he almost needs Matt's help to to stop himself.
1: Yeah, or someone else. You know, one has to wonder when you look at you look at Eddie Craywick uh, and Angel, how much different the points would look oh, yeah. if they weren't getting whole shot at all over the country, uh, you know? And I, 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 I think the world of, of, uh, of Eddie, it's a, it's a tough thing that these racers do. And, and I, I've been through it, you know, where you have your highs and lows, but you know, those are, those are good bikes and it, it just, the, the riders they're, you know, they're bobbling they're fumbling the ball. And, and so what it comes down to, and I, I agree with, uh, I agree with Kevin. I think I think that when Joey was dominating, in um, Topeka especially, I think that Matt was trying to sort through. You know, he was switching bikes. He was trying to find the range, and I think Joey looked so good because Matt was sorting through those those. You know, the the tuning. You know, the four valve. He you know he wound up with the V twin, and that's gonna that's what's gonna take him to the bank. I think that's I think that. Joey is shy, maybe two to three hundredths of a second. But I, I think when it comes down to it, Matt is good. He's good off the line. He has a performance. Um, unless, unless a rider like Eddie or Angel, or, you know, it seems like Jerry, Jerry's in the thick of things, but you know, he's gotten there with some luck. And I, I think going into this stretch, I, I think there's going to be some luck, but it's going to be mostly skill. It's going to be mostly power and the ability, the talent of the writer.
0: Yeah. And listen, uh, I think one of the things that sets Matt apart from a lot of other people in the category and and even a lot of other people across basically every NHRA pro category is this kind of matter of fact, um, you know, I guess a lot of people look at it maybe as cockiness or whatever, but there is a very matter of fact approach that like, when we show up, we're here to kick your ass and we're probably going to do it. And, it, it, there's no sense of wonder in this guy's voice when he talks about, you know, trying to potentially win a sixth world championship and and really open the door to to maybe a seventh that would place him in a play uh, in territory no one's ever gotten to but you know, uh, you know, Kevin when I look at a, a, a break like we've had between St. Louis and Dallas, this guy's been working probably 18 hours a day on his dyno and I'm not sure anybody else in the class has been doing the same thing.
2: Yeah, it, it you know, we, we don't have any idea what, what sort of performance he's going to bring to Dallas, but it, it probably won't be anything less than he had last week in St. Louis. Uh, that That is just a, a tough combination to beat. Someone who's been there that many times, doesn't miss a trick, leaves no stone unturned. Uh, I mean, honestly, I think at this point the best thing that Angel and Eddie could do is, is maybe play the game, try to drop back in qualifying, and, and hook matt first or second round but um you know it, it's one thing to catch him uh, in, in the first or second round it's another thing to beat him um so you know it, th- that would probably be a benefit to you know to gladstone who is their engine customer um but again it, it, it works great in theory but you actually have to pull it off
0: you have to you have to pull it off. And on that note, let's move to pro stock. And um, you know, Tony Kevin brought up something that I I asked Erica on a Skype that should run this week um, on uh, nhra which is you know, is this the week where KB just has to pull the stops out and and do everything they can to try to hook you in the first round? To me this is their only chance. I mean, she's the only person out there that has the, the ability to lock up a championship right now in Vegas. She's 120 up on the field, and to me, if these guys don't try to, to stop her in the first round, they're just laying over.
1: This should be the shortest topic of all of them, Brian. Yeah. You know, get, Yeah, it good should. Luck.
0: You know. Yeah. the pattern that I
1: notice is, is the KB cars seem to be able to qualify. Even you look at Kyle Koreski, he set quick time in the first round, but it seems like when the temperature creeps up a little bit, their performance falls off two three hundredths of a second, and that's where it's at. That loses the race form. So, what is that? Is that is that uh, you know suspension? Is that weight distribution? Is it gearing? You know, all of the above. It's something, and and so whatever elite is doing, and you know, you always go back to to the talent of of, uh, of Ricky Jones and and their ability and their expertise when it comes to the chassis, and that's that seems to be just such a critical. Uh, you know, point or part of the success of these pro stock cars. But, you know, if they don't fix that, then, you know, then it, it's a race for second. And at this stage of the season with all the other drama unfolding in the other classes, you know, we, we just kind of expected more. I mean, hey, Greg is, uh, you know, the, the let the records, the record speaks for itself. You, you know, Greg is, he's, a, he, you're not going to dislike him. He's such a likable guy. Um, and And he's just you know he's giving it away on the starting line. That's no secret. and um you know, I think Dallas Dallas has a lot of talent. Kyle you know is talented, he's got a car, but it just when it falls off, I think that takes him out of out of uh, out of competition.
0: Yeah, I mean and Kevin, she's drawn eleven red lights this year nobody else I mean Greg has lost on what nine hole shots now but Erica has drawn her opponents have red lit against her 11 times which is in eliminations which is head and shoulders multiple times more than anybody else so it's almost like the psychology of this is it's it's like people have psyched themselves into the situation that has manifested itself right it's like it, these other competitors have raced themselves to 120 point deficit uh, between first and second at this point. True, but,
2: you know, you you, you can't go up there and be 40 or 50 against her. You know, you're going to get clobbered. So I I can give a little leeway to the guys that, you know, are are maybe red by four or five thousands. You you have to push it, and sometimes you're going to end up there. Uh, And as far as, you know, Tony's comment about shortest topic, uh, 100% agree. The only problem you have, you get 20 cars on the pre-entry list. So... To just say, well, I, I'm going to drop it. I'm going to clutch it at half track and qualify in the bottom of the field. You can't do that. Now, now I think a, a guy like Dallas Glenn, there's enough bracket racer in him. Uh, he, he could probably, you know, manipulate it to where he's 15th or 16th and, and, and maybe catch Erica first round. And yes, I agree. That is the only chance to make this work. Uh, you, you got one shot to do it and do it right. And it, it, it really, you know, it should be a discussion that entire team is having. And you need to get them all on the same page to say, you know, do we want this or don't we? You know, are, are we going to go for the championship or are we just going to be happy finishing second, third, fifth? Um, you know, I, if it's me, I mean, you got nothing to lose. I would do it. But we'll see how things play out this week.
0: Yeah. And, and look, I, if you remember back to, um, you know, Pomona last year when the elite team tried it, they actually almost pulled it off. But if you, if you remember who broke it up? The, the immortal Mike Callahan. Yes. <laughs> he kind of, he kind of Mr. Magood his way into this run that just completely blew up their entire strategy. And, and I guess that's how, you know, and this is a four qualifying session race and, and we'll move on after we finish this. But to me, it's like, it's a four qualifying session race and I think it would be, I think it's going to be really awesome because, I, I just have to believe in my heart of hearts that they're going to try something. And that that first qualifying session is going to be is going to be the tell. If, if you see a bunch of cars like you said clutching the car at 800 7 900 feet, whatever and coasting across to see where they end up. So
2: yeah, and if you don't, you're just throwing up the white flag. Yes. So it's it's on them to, to decide what they want to do.
0: All right, Tony, there is no white flags being thrown in nitro funny car. Uh, Robert Hyde continues to kind of assault Everybody except really for Ron Caps. I mean, Caps is forty six points out. Uh, you go one hundred and three back for Hagen, one hundred and fourteen back for Force, and and that's to me the maybe the limit. You got Tasca at one seventy back, so Tasca doesn't need a miracle, but he certainly needs he needs a little bit of that top fuel kind of mojo to happen for him this weekend. But is Caps is Caps the guy that can actually beat Height this year? Height, who looks at this point better than he has all season long. I,
1: I, yeah, I think so. I mean, when you look at – and, and I would call it a miracle for Tasca. I think that, I think <laughs> that you know, 170, they, they got to throw up a Hail Mary. And I know they've been trying, but it just – you know, when it's there, it's there. And when it's not, it's not. It's not the same car. It doesn't have the same performance. Um, you, you know, on the other hand, I, I'm not going to – I don't think Hagen and Force by any stretcher out of it. And here's why. Because Robert can be beat. When you look at – I mean, ask Alexis – she beat him in the second round. It could happen in Dallas. There's going to be there's going to be a full car count. He's not going to have the luxury of smoking the tires. And I'm sure they did because they were pushing. Yeah. Um, and and you go back to the second round uh, of St. Louis. I mean, these guys are beatable. He had a he had a one a one flat um, reaction time. Wilkerson was holding three hundredths of a second off the starting line, but just he didn't have the jam. He didn't have the power. He didn't. And and that's. Usually not the case. So there was another there was another occasion that he could have been beat. In the semifinals, it's like, you know, you, you look at, you know, you strategize and think about what a car has to run on that track to, to win the round. And, you know, I figured a low 90. Okay, so Robert runs a 391. Caps runs a 388, Yeah, right? And he's probably not shallow stage, not against force, he's not. And, you know, and Hagen's car runs, you know, a 394, that's not going to win you a championship. That's not on Matt. That just car didn't have the punch that it has had in the past and they should find it or just bow out gracefully. But Caps is really the guy to beat, um, in my opinion. I mean, that 388 was was pretty stout. And, you know, when you you look at – you know, how he got beat in the final. I mean, Ron didn't do anything wrong. I mean, a 59, nine times out of 10 or 85% of the time, that's going to get you a win, but not when the guy plunks out his best reaction time. So, to me, I think that Caps, I I would give him a slight edge over Robert, which I know that's going to be hard for people to think, but as good as they are, they could be beat.
0: Yeah, they can be beat, and Kevin, does this forecast of, of very warm temperatures, at least through qualifying, give at least a little more hope, a little more a little more zhuzh to, to a JR Todd? I mean, th- that that car has started to try to show some teeth. It hasn't necessarily bared them all the way, but this is the car that we typically pin on the, the hot weather racetrack setup.
2: Yeah, I think you have a couple people that fall into that category, JR Todd being one of them. You know, Tim Wilkerson seems to be at his best when conditions are hot. Uh, uh, you know, even e- even at the top of the order, I, I tend to think it probably helps Ron Cap's a bit. Um, th- they seem to be a little bit better. Um, at least maybe an equalizer uh, when, when you consider them head to head against Heights' team. Uh, so, so, so yeah, I think you know on Sunday, if uh, the forecast holds true and, and it is warm. Uh, you're putting lots of tire smoke, lots of pedaling. And on those days, anything can happen. And uh, th- there's your possibility of actually tightening this points battle back up.
0: Let's say Forrest ends up, by some you know miraculous turn of events, it really wouldn't be that miraculous, but let's say Forrest ends up going to, into Pomona, let's call it 60 back or, or 58 points back. Do we look at John Forrest and think, this guy might win a title today? Or do we look at John Forrest and think, Oh man, this is cool that this guy is kind of in the conversation, but it's probably not going to be him.
2: <laughs> he's he, he's not. He, I I certainly don't see him at any point being a blocker for Robert. I, right. I think if, if the championship is there, he's going to go for it. Um, but uh, but no, I, I, if if as you described, if he really comes into Pomona sixty points back, uh, I I think you you look at it uh, with with wonder in your eyes to say, you know, here, here's a guy. 70, what, four years old, who can still bring it, is still in the middle of it. Uh, it's actually pretty awesome, in my opinion.
0: What do you think, Tony?
1: I think that at this stage of the game, and, you know, hey, John, I, I don't like throwing his age out there um, because, because what he exhibits in the car. Um, it doesn't really seem to be a factor. He's still, at, if, he's, if he's 75%, he's still better than most at 100%. But at this stage of the game, you've got to ask, and John, I'm sure, asked himself, how many more cracks at this am I going to get? So by all means, I think he is going to be in the game. I think he's going to go for it. And I think, yes, he'll be a blocker for Robert, but all in terms of being able to take out the tough ones like Hagan, like Tasca, get rid of some of those other guys for Robert. And I just, I hope we don't, uh, see a situation where it's John against Robert, and Robert's the only one with a chance. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I think, I think that John, he, he's never lost that fire, and you know we're talking about three or four other guys, and well, he's still just kind of lingering around, not going anywhere.
0: Yeah, and listen, from a, a purely um, selfish point of view, I, I would like to see him come into to Pomona in that. In that close state or in that conversation only because, I mean, every single round, this guy, if, if he feels like he can do it, and Tony, you can speak to this better than anybody, if he feels like he can do it, he will pull out all the freaking stops uh, on whatever <laughs> whatever freaking starting line voodoo he can pull. It'll all be on the table
1: we're gonna, we're going to see if, if John is in it going into the last race or maybe even Vegas into the last two race. We're going to see more from John. We're going to see more deep staging, we're going to see shallow shallow staging, we're going to see light flickering. We're going to see everything in between, but that's what he does. It has been so effective. Uh you know, the the and really the, the competition, the other drivers are really the only ones that are complaining about drivers at deep stage. I've always said, I think it's a thing of beauty. Um whatever it takes to win but i think john has gotten up into more people's heads and like erica he has forced over the years i've seen it i've been there he forces people into mistakes he will make them late he gets them thinking on the starting line and we all know when these drivers start thinking and pondering things and looking at stuff that's when mistakes happen but um, I, I think I think uh, the world of John. Hey, I, I have one more. I, I guess I want to call this "What's Up with That" or what the the WTH moment <laughs> of the race? All We've right, been yeah. waiting no morning for this. <laughs> I can't leave this alone. How in the hell does a guy qualify with a three sixty seven and then plug in 376, 374, three seventy six, three seventy four? Where in the hell did that three sixty seven go? That was
0: Sean Langdon. Listen, you're what jumping the ahead. the hell is up with that? You're jumping ahead. We'll get to we'll get to Top Fuel in a second, and I wanna I wanna go right down that road with you. But one more thing I want to talk about in Funny Car before we get there is Cruz Pedregon. He's got Lee Beard working with uh, working with with the crew. Um, and they are transitioning that car into a six disc clutch. Tony, you and I both understand that it's going to roll off of the trailer in Dallas with a six disc, and that six disc will stay there to the through the end of this season, all the way into next. Um, what has been? Uh, listen, I think we saw the car actually run better. He ran a career best speed. I think this uh, this appears to be a move that that's been a long time coming.
1: You know, something that I forgot, and Cruz reminded me. Um, you know, you go back to when when Collins was running uh, Tommy's car. They actually won a race with the six. Discs. Yeah. And you know, I
0: forgot
1: that too. Yeah. And at the time it worked so well because Tolbert was running the five disc and, you know, and they were right there just you know, it was easy for Collins to go right over and, you know, get any feedback, but you know, they, they just seemed to have gone off the path. But you know, Lee beard is one of those guys that I've always felt, um, should be out there. He, I mean, I think he retired too early. I think he's got a lot of talent He's one of the best engine guys in terms of making power, understanding the engine. And, uh, you know, there were some motor guys and some that kind of, you know, really specialized in the clutch and and, uh, and how it worked. And then there were both. And I think just Lee is one of those guys that, um, you know, I, people can say what they want about him. And, and maybe it's the personality. I think there have been some personality clashes with, you know, some of the other, you know, maybe crew chiefs in the sport. Um, but we've all said, you know, it's kind of, there's, there's, there's some different personalities. I'm, I'm going to be
0: nice. Yeah. But week. look, it's like, it's like the same thing. Do you think every NFL coach likes each other? Half of these guys think the other guy's an asshole. I mean, that's the way it goes. That's it's any professional sport with this role.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that, I think when Cruz rolls up against, you know, one of these guys, I think they should take him more seriously, not to discredit Collins, um, or, or anyone on that team. But I think. I think they're still going through the process, but when you see a guy like Lee standing over there, um, I I think that carries some weight. I think that that nobody will ever admit it. The driver, the tuner, that's gonna get up in their head. And if they dialed up, uh, let's say a 390, they might wanna think about turning one of those knobs counterclockwise, opening some of that stuff, and maybe get it about two hundredths more just because that guy is standing there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it adds an element. I think it's cool. I think it's always to me an interesting an interesting thing. It's a good thing when you know, a team like Cruises or any other one with like major sponsor with Snap-on, you know, makes the decision like this. To me, it shows some depth in the sport that it's not just showing up and running down the racetrack. There is a a need and a want to improve all the time and, and kind of not only please the sponsor, but also perform to the level that, um you know, that you feel the team should be performing to. So let's move into Top Fuel. And, and Kevin, let's go a little bit into the Twilight Zone here in that we're going to talk about something that, um, well, I'd like to talk about something. You can choose to participate or not, but I want to talk a little bit about the Steve Torrance situation. A little bit of what, in vague terms, what we have heard internally going on with that team. Some things are some things are happening behind the scenes there that are leading to some decision making we can see outside of the team, but it, but it's deeper than that. And and so. To give people a timeline of what my understanding is, and this is, again, in, in vague terms, uh, after the Brainerd race, there was a kind of an internal conflict with the team. Uh, that kind of came to a head at Charlotte when we saw Billy was going to have to race Steve in the first round, and uh, there were discussions, and apparently Billy was on the plane home uh, on Saturday night. That car, of course, did not appear in the first round at Charlotte. And you know these stories have been floating around for, for a few races now, but... We then go to St. Louis, and it's almost like these this this internal strife and some of the things that happened may have refocused these guys to a degree, Kevin.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean there's a few things we know factually. Uh, Billy Torrance was on the entry list for Dallas. He is no longer on the entry list. Uh, you know, that uh, is probably telling. Uh, I, you know, I don't know his status for the rest of the year, Vegas and Pomona my guess is no based on some of the rumors we've heard yeah um, you know and to, to your point about refocusing the team yeah you you would think a lot of teams some some of the things that may or may not be going on behind the scenes would be detrimental
0: but oh it, it, it would, it would, would blow it would have blown up a whole bunch of other teams out here from everything we may yeah. understand what's happened it would have it would have torpedoed everybody else or a lot of other teams right,
2: right. but but obviously that didn't happen Um but going forward, we don't know, uh, you know, the effects. I mean, I mean, clearly, I think that team will look very different next year. But we just need to see what um, uh, what transpires here the last three races and can they pull this off? And also, would, would a, another championship, would a fifth straight championship ch- change the course one way or the other of, you know, as far as the personnel who may or may not be involved, whether it's one or two cars? A uh, lot of questions over there. Not a lot of answers right now.
0: Not a lot of answers other than the answer we saw on the racetrack, which was almost a, I'm not going to say it's a return to form because it's one race, but this this was the ant- antithesis of how they won the Brainerd race, right? The Brainerd race was a, was a scrappy, in the trenches, kind of slog your way through it win, but this was a... Okay, this was a 2018 2019 Steve Torrance win. This was Big E This was throwing race. This was throwing you know throwing numbers down and being intimidated by no one.
2: Yeah, I think I think you could actually make a case that that 365 uh, is right up there as a qualifier for run of the year. Yeah, it may not be the quickest run of the year, but boy, um, that that was pretty darn impressive, and it shows you you know it, it's almost like you have to give credit where it's due. All year long, they said we're refining our combination we're going to be fine. We just need to be good at the last six races. You know, we can't sit still and I'll be darned if they didn't sit still, they are better. And, you know, again, it was one race, but if they carry anything that resembles that momentum into Dallas, then uh, you you like their chances of, of actually pulling this off. and, um, and Putting together a fifth
0: straight championship. So, Tony, on on those topics that we brought up, whether it's the internal stuff going on, whether it's the performance in St. Louis, kind of where are you at on uh, on this Torrance team, and and not not their legitimacy, of course, but if you got this kind of tension happening behind the scenes, is that something you can carry through three races to win a title?
1: I think the initial is always a shock to a team, but a team like Steve's, all it does is bring them together. Okay, and that that is worth something. Uh, you know the the billy hey i live in this town of brownsburg and you know the the streets talk and i hear the team may be for sale and it makes me wonder um you know if if it's true if it's accurate we'll lose the team but you know billy's just he he races when he wants to race and i wondered if if that is in fact true it it, could it be could it be the politics because i i've I've known this in, in my career I was in a lot of pro meetings. I, you know, everybody has a different opinion. Everyone wants, not necessarily what's best for the sport. They want what's best for them. And it's it's it was childish to me to hear, to hear team owners say, well, if you're going to do that, we're just not going to come to the race. Okay, all right, then don't come. But you know, it's funny, they always showed up because they love being there. So it was a bluff. It was a you-know-what BS bluff. And I don't think that's the case. With Billy, yeah, I, I think, don't there's, think so there's, politics, yeah. there's politics in business. There's politics in sports. You go play, and in, in, uh, you go to some other motorsport, or even some sport, boxing, football, anything. There's politics. So you have to deal with that. I've got to think that if Billy, if it's in fact if his operation is for sale, you know, maybe um, maybe he's had his fun. You know, it, it happens. None of us are getting any younger. I don't know the reasons. Billy is the only one that can answer those questions, but. Um, I do hear a few things and, and, you know, there was some, you know, some turmoil. Um, I don't know if Dom Lagan is part of that team anymore. I'm just, I'm just saying some yeah. of the things that I hear. Um, but let's talk about Steve Torrance because he's really the only uh, part of this conversation that wasn't really in this conversation. And it's funny how the timing worked because yes. that was like, that was like the the Brian, like, as you would say, the Pedra gone. <laughs> Live. that was the cutoff that was the cutoff for me he if he either came out he had to come out with the win and if it wasn't a win it had to be a runner-up but it had to put him in range but like you said kevin the 365 really changed everything brian you and i looked at each other oh yeah and about oh, 365 that changes everything and i'll be darned if he doesn't go and win the race so i i think uh, i think you're right brian i think Brainerd wasn't the Steve of old, you know, th- th- there was a lot of cars. The track went away. The rubber got really thin in the second round. It took a lot of the good cars out of competition. Uh, but this wasn't the case. This was this was the way that Steve used to win races. You talk about timing. Um, it, it couldn't have come at a better time. And I don't think we've seen the best of Steve. You know, I think, I think he's going to go back. He's going to look at his performance in the second round against Clay, and and say wow i could have done better i think it was a reminder to him how to race i think he's going to get back in that rhythm i think it's going to be bad news for the competition but um, i i will add this he's never had competition like he has now you still have justin ashley the only thing that took justin out of competition was these unpredictable cars that lost traction in the first round just like antron so those guys are still going to be there but but now you've got one. You've got one big problem. And his name is Steve Torrance.
0: And and mo- kind of reverting back almost to the pro stock motorcycle conversation, Kevin is the would this in your mind? do You foresee this being one of those scenes where, if Steve Torrance leaves Dallas with a points lead, then that's it. Or do you really think? Yeah. And and I'm not sure. I think that I'm just I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility no. because I think we I think we carry that idea in pro stock motorcycle, but I'm not sure it translates here.
2: No, it, it's going to Pomona. And it's going to Pomona with multiple entries, maybe as many as five or six. Uh, that's my gut feeling. But, but just to, to step back for a second on the Billy Torrance, uh, I, I can tell you a quick story. Earlier this year, I stopped by the trailer to talk to him after he'd lost a round to Top Fuel. And he he said, you know, I'm kind of busy right now. And, and, and I was actually doing a story on his supercomp car. And I told him, I said, look, I really just want to talk about your super top car. And he said, Oh hell, that's different. Come on in. I'll talk about that all day. <laughs> yeah. And that may give you a little bit of perspective and where his mindset is. I really think he has always enjoyed, um, you know, racing the sportsman car. We know there's been times where, you know, Steve is at a national event running top fuel Billy's off with his super comp car at a divisional somewhere. And I think he's perfectly content to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, and we see it. We he went out there what one Topeka a couple of years ago when Steve was off racing somewhere else. So yeah, I mean, listen, no one's faulting the guy. I obviously he's done incredible things in his life with a business and in this sport, and he can do whatever he, whatever he damn well pleases to do. Um yeah. I, I'm not. I don't necessarily think that team is diminished. And Tony, you may disagree. I don't necessarily think that team is diminished. If if in fact, like you said, the rumor is that that the equipment's for sale on on Billy's side of the, the team, I don't necessarily think it diminishes the team's abilities though. Right.
1: I agree. I agree. And, you know, just one last thing, I guess, what, what it just goes to show you, one of the things I'm, I'm thinking of is, you know, we always talk about teamwork and, and the good teams and the ones that, well, they're just not as good. And I, I know we hear it over and over and over again from these drivers. They all have the best team in the world. It's actually not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not. It's really not true. And, and when you say that, when you just spit it out, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think you you, it's that respectful to, to really some of the good teams, but some of these, some of these employees, they will wear you out as a team owner. And, you know, I think for Billy Torrance, he has a business. I'm sure they, they employ, I mean, I, I don't know if it's hundreds,
0: hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of if but if, it's,
1: if it yeah. is hundreds, it's gotta be, that's not, that's uh, out of those hundreds. There's about 150 headaches. Right? <laughs> um, so I think it really says a lot about some of the teams that have that really have good, solid teams, that the problems are, are a minimum. You know, so it's, it never seems to amaze me that, you know, it's like it's like showing up to the workplace and we race a car and we want this car to perform. And there's a, a bonus structure for everyone that works on the car and whether it starts in the first round or in the second round of the semifinals, that's the incentive. They have an opportunity to make more money, yet they bring their personal problems and their drama and their their shitty attitude to to the workplace and, and the good ones don't do that. I think the good ones are able to separate it, but I feel for a guy like Billy, and, and I'm not saying that they're going to, that's just what I've heard, yes. but I know sometimes it's frustrating and you give them a week or two to decompress. And, hey, if it were me, I ran a business. To me, that that should be like a getaway for Billy Torrance. It's a dangerous getaway. Yeah. But, you know, at least he's not putting one of those squirrel suits that you can jump off a cliff. <laughs> he just get, He's surrounded. He's protected in a roll cage. So I hope whatever it is, I hope that we see Billy uh, back because, uh, you know, I think he's a heck of a racer. And I know he loves sportsmen, but, you know, it's a lot. There's a lot less pressure. When you're racing that type of car, if if that's part of you know what what is uh, turning them out about top fuel.
0: You know, Tony, you uh, you had a red light earlier where you brought up the Sean Landon question, which is which is a valid one. Which the question was, what the hell happened? Uh, <laughs> it's when very you qualified, valid. Yeah, what the hell happened? The 367 all of a sudden just reverts back to the 374 to 376. I think both of us wondered what the hell happened.
1: But you know, that's not on Sean, of course. I mean, he gets in the car, he does a good job. He's got good car control. He leaves when he has to. Most of the time he'll get he'll get a little bit on his opponent. But I I mean there was another time we looked at each other at like three sixty seven. Where did that come from? Yeah. Well, it looked like a damn accident. Because because and we've joked about it. We've joked about them like they should trademark that the 376 <laughs> elapsed time. They should own it. And I'll be damned, Kevin, if they went from 367 in good conditions and ran a 376. You want to know what they did after that? They ran a 376. And then they then they ran a 374 and, and got beat by Josh Hart. But and I, I, I,
2: I, it's probably safe to assume they made changes between all three of those runs.
1: <laughs> significant changes you would think it's just i want to know where in the heck and this again this goes back to that team because uh, and i'm not going to beat him up too much for it because this is this is the team that raced at coletta a few races ago and that was still as impressive then it still continues to be especially at this stage of the game but i just thought i mean it's almost i i see a little humor from my perspective and i'm not knocking them because they made three competitive runs on Sunday they got to the semifinals for crying out loud. That's more than a lot of guys can say. But um I just when they ran, when you run three sixty seven, you know, it's like Josh Hart ran that three sixty six in yep, Brainerd. Yep. And that from that point on, that made him a much more dangerous opponent. And and he is he's been able to back it up. And and when uh when that DHL car when they back that three sixty seven up, I'm gonna be the first to apologize. And I'll do it on the air if we're on the air but i just i that to me would be it's like what sticks out in top fuel i want to know what where in the hell did that 367 come from they may not even know themselves
0: it was it was a moment and like you said they just kind of reverted back to what their what their normal spot is and kevin on the other side of that doug doug's car is now frequently touching the 360s um Obviously, the race day consistency is starting to come around. The rounds wins are coming at a little more frequency than they have. But Doug's car, to me, is is obviously more threatening than Sean than Sean's for the reasons we've just discussed. Eighty eight back, he's still in the hunt.
2: Yeah, I mean, as we talked at the beginning of the show, you know, would it be too much to ask for to have in Dallas say a, a Doug Kalitta Clay Millican final that just bunches up the top eight? To, to where we go to the last two races with a free-for-all. Uh, I, I don't think that is at all out of the question, uh, especially not in, in Doug's case. Yeah, that, that, that car is as good as it's been all year, and obviously you've got uh, one of the most dependable drivers this class has ever seen. Uh, to, to think that that car could go to the final this week w- wouldn't surprise me in the least.
0: No, it wouldn't surprise me in the least either. And there is three more names I want to talk about before we close it out in Top Fuel. The first one is the points leader, whose name we've brought up very sparingly here, is Justin Ashley. And and we're not, in my opinion, no one's taking this guy lightly. No one thinks what they've done is is fluky. We we've watched this car perform. We see to put the numbers up. We know what he can do behind the wheel. And Tony, as a guy who has uh, won championships and has maybe had to look over his shoulder a time or two, how scary is it to see that guy named Steve Torrance like a handful of points behind? If you're Justin Ashley,
1: well, I, you know, regardless of Steve's, uh, you know, past championships and Steve at his best, I think that I think I just think Justin's Justin's got everything that Steve does except the experience. Now. No, that that's why you know I got to give Steve the, the edge because when you go into that last race and you have all those, you have all those, you know, all those pressures of everything being on the line at that moment. And it, I'm not saying that Justin, there's some guys that that just pull through. I mean, he could he could be as good as quick as he always is, um, and that's really the biggest issue. Um, you know, when, once the car leaves, once the car gets off the starting line, everything else is you know his instinct. Uh, everything is a conditioned response, and I think I think he's good there. I think he's come a long way in the last year in terms of car control when these cars get in trouble. And I bring that up because we've seen two cars smoke the tires when when these tuners when they're going after one another and they you know they it's, I'm not saying it's all ego, but it's it's discipline when they don't want to pull back and both the cars lose traction. It it really the focus shifts and it's like I'm going with the guy with experience, but. Um, I, I think that's why I think I think just Justin is, has been there all along. He's been in the pressure cookers. I don't think he's going to see pressure like like what he'll experience going into Pomona, though. When that championship's on the line, <clears throat> there's a lot of money up the grabs. There's a there's a prestige. There's just the fact that you know he's he's one step away, and you've got your hand out, and you can almost touch it. And you know I think that's why Steve and even Brittany. Especially, especially drivers like Steve and and, and, uh, and Antron. Uh, I just I put those guys in a different category. You know, when I look at the seven cars that are in the hunt, you know, Justin, he's pretty much as good as they get when it comes to getting off the starting line. Steve, pretty close, but we saw what he can do in the final. Brittany is is steady, but can she can she? Can she drop down or drop out the the thirties and forties? Yes, she can. But can she do it as frequent as frequently as the other drivers? She hasn't she hasn't shown that she's able to. But it's there, you know. Salinas, he seems to you know the car is having its issues. It doesn't have the success rate that it has, and he sure as heck doesn't have the consistency on the starting line. But Antron. He's in the category with Steve and Justin, yeah, and Josh Hart. It's like man and Doug. It never, it just doesn't end. It doesn't end, guys. So, yeah, you know, I think I think Justin is still he's still the guy to beat, but he can't he can't give up that point lead because if you give Steve even Antron a little momentum, they're going to take what you give them.
0: You know, Kevin, when we look at these these seven cars right now, which again could be more than that by the time we leave Texas, and we look specifically at Brittany Force and Mike Salinas. Are they in are they in mentally the worst spot out of these seven drivers? Because both of them have been at the top and and seemingly been the dominant car this season. Cause when we look at the other seven, I don't know if there's another two that we look at and think, oh wow, these guys have slipped to a point that's a little bit scary. I think we see cars like a Doug Coletta almost ascendant to a to a degree. I think we see an Antron Brown, obviously an ascendant car. Are are Brittany and and Salinas in the toughest mental spot, or even the toughest kind of physical spot, in this in this run.
2: Well, I, I think you have to accept that, that this is a long haul. It's a twenty-two race season, and you know, leading the points in April means next to nothing. Um, but, but I also think you've got two completely different cases here. Uh, in, in Brittany's case, you know, they've been there before. They've won championships. They've been, you know, top three or four multiple times you could maybe make a case that, yeah, they felt like a little something has, has slipped away. Uh, I mean, obviously, 30 points back, you could make you know, you know could make that up. Yes. She's probably going to make up a chunk of that in qualifying, and then the rest of it in the first round. Mike Salinas, maybe a little different deal. This is the first time you could really look at him seriously and think, you are a contender for the championship. So I, if, if I'm Mike, I think right now you head to Dallas and you say to yourself, I need to have a good week. I, I need do. to be semis or semis or better. And we're still in this thing. And obviously that's a car that when it's right, but uh, is as good as anyone out there. It, it, you know, they've been very good in, in the heat. Uh, so, you know, we, we talked about that earlier. Maybe this is the race where they get back on track, go to a final round. And the next time we have this discussion, we're thinking, wow, geez, you know, Mike's leading or Mike's second. Uh, you know, can, can they hold off for two more races that, that that's an entirely possible scenario in my view?
0: No, it really is. And, and that's the beauty of this with the eight, seven, eight cars that, uh, that we're talking about here and, and how it's all going to shake out. So fellas, thank you very much for taking the time. We just got a, a handful left to finish up this season and each one of these races is going to kind of rewrite, potentially rewrite the narrative, at least in a couple of these categories. We'll see if our points leaders in, in pro stock and pro stock bike can hang in there. So Tony, any final thoughts?
1: Um, no, I just, you know, I think, I think that, um, I think what we talked about at the top is really going to be the question of the weekend is how much is it going to change? It, you know, for the most part, I think most of the top fuel cars, the funny cars have proven that they can race. They can go pretty quick when it's cool. I think it favors someone. So like I've always said before, I think with the kind of heat that we're going to see on, on uh, Saturday, uh, going into Sunday, if it doesn't rain, um, I think that it's just going to bunch everyone up, even in pro stock. So I think, um, I think that's going to make the interesting even more interesting.
0: Kevin, take us home.
1: You know, I, I don't want to get
2: too far ahead of things here. Obviously, we can enjoy the last month of the season and these epic points battles. But if you want to look beyond that, I think we are on track for another very active, silly season. You know, we, we, we've heard rumors about possibly more new teams. We've heard rumors about possibly more NASCAR-type involvement. Uh, I, I think we saw this report yesterday, where D- Dodge has maybe pulled back uh, on the possibility of rejoining NASCAR. Uh, they seem to be very content with the value they're getting from drag racing. Uh, I think that was a very positive thing. Obviously, TV ratings are doing really well. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of things going forward to uh, to, to feel good about. Um, you know, again, I, I think we should probably just in, enjoy the last month of this season. But um, I, I don't think it's going to be boring come December or January either
0: that's always a good thing fellas as always thanks for taking the time and I will see you in Texas Tony and Kevin you'll be following from home following for National Dragster and that brings us to the end of this episode and end of a conversation which I hope you learned something in there and if you didn't then I guess you know more than the rest of us because uh, there's some stuff uh, we went over in there that I'm not sure a whole lot of people know about and it is going to make uh, this next three-race stretch even more intriguing than it already possibly could be. Dallas, Vegas, and Pomona. Three races to finish a season, three races to crown champions, three races to decide who is the best of the absolute best in the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm Brian Loans, and yes, I will be back next week, and we will talk about what happens in Dallas, and we will talk about what needs to happen for our potential champions in Vegas and pomona as this season does not grind does not wind but speeds to its inevitable end in the middle of november as always thanks for listening thanks for being a fan of nhre camping world drag racing we'll see you on fs1 on sunday qualifying early in the afternoon and eliminations check your local listings for the airtime hasta la pasta